Hello and welcome to Endurance Minded. It's the podcast that looks at the psychological and emotional components of endurance sports and how they impact performance. I'm your host, Taylor Thomas, founder and coach at TEC. And on this episode, I have the amazing uh, pleasure and opportunity uh, of speaking with Shannon Stober. Uh, Shannon is the founder of Jumpstart Training and Development, uh, where she specializes in working with individuals and groups to facilitate personal and professional development. Um, She also so happens to be uh, one of my very, very dearest friends. And uh, Shannon and I were able to get together and actually record this podcast uh, in her living room uh, on her couch. Um, And uh, Shannon and I have uh, worked together uh, professionally over the years. Um, We're also uh, very close friends. And uh, I was... um, Super excited to chat with Shannon. She is one of uh, the smartest folks that I know, um, and she, the work that she does, so um, so closely links and overlaps with um, the work that uh, that we do as coaches and what we try to talk about here uh, on Endurance Minded. So Shannon and I sit down on her couch, have a casual conversation uh, that uh, spurs from uh, a speech that she gave where she used me. Um, as a primary example uh, of the downside of passion. Uh, And then we use that as a springboard to talk about uh, the power of powerful questions. Um, We go into limiting limiting beliefs and triggers um, and how those impact us um, both uh, on a personal level as well as a performance level. Um, We talk about uh, the importance and power of fundamental skills um, and how developing those helps us in all areas of our lives. Um, Shannon brings so much um, passion uh, and such a vibrancy to our conversation. Uh, and it was super fun to, to sit down with her person to person, one-on-one, and, uh, and have this chat. It's not something that I've gotten the opportunity to do very much with this podcast, given the nature of, uh, of how we work remotely these days. Um, so I really hope you'll listen start to finish, or you can watch uh, the video version uh, where it's Shannon and I hanging out. Uh, just a quick note, Shannon and I uh, do get fired up and there is some expletives uh, in this. So if that's something that you're not into, um, just make sure uh, to know that there are a few peppered throughout the, uh, the recording. Um, and uh, also uh, check out thomasendurancecoaching.com. We just launched uh, a new product for us called TEC Teams, uh, something that we are massively excited about, uh, first of its kind in the endurance sports space. Um, so I hope you, uh, you'll check it out. And uh, as always, uh, use us as a resource. Um, uh, schedule a call with a coach. Uh, reach out to us. Let us know how we can help you. What's on your mind? Uh, same goes for the podcast, enduranceminded.com. Uh, leave us a note. Let us know what's happened. What can we what we can help you with? And uh, we'll do uh, everything we can to point you in the right direction. So um, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Shannon Stober. Before we get started with this week's episode, I'm so excited to announce that we're welcoming Inside Tracker as our first official sponsor to the podcast. As I've talked about at length on the show, my passion is helping other individuals discover the tools, resources, and relationships they need to reach their full potential. It's about more than just getting fit or being in shape for one race. It's about realizing the value in the lifetime pursuit of dedicating yourself to become the best version of you that you can be. 
So when you do what you love, whether it's running, riding your bike, racing, or just enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do it for life. That's where Inside Tracker can help. As a lifelong athlete who's done everything under the sun, I've gotten blood work done many, many times over the years, and it's always provided critical information. Even when I was feeling great and training hard, my blood work has uncovered critical deficits such as low vitamin D and elevated iron. So despite how your training is going or how you're feeling, Inside Tracker helps to uncover specific, individual, and actionable insights that allow you to not only perform better, but feel better and be healthier. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Then, Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way, towards reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. So for a limited time, Endurance Minded listeners can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just visit info.insidetracker.com slash endurance-minded and enter your name at the bottom of the page to take advantage of your 25% discount. Being an athlete is about more than just completing the right workouts. So visit info.insidetracker.com slash endurance-minded today to start taking a proactive approach to understanding what your body needs to perform better and live longer. Dan over. Taylor Thomas. What's happening? Nothing. How we're, are you? We're live on your couch. We are. Which is super fun. Um, Two hours later than our <laughs> kickoff yeah, time. We did, a, yeah, we did a lot of prep work. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's going to make the podcast that much better. Um, so a good place to start would be uh, I want you to talk about how you used me uh, as an example for a, uh, a keynote speech that you did. Okay. When was that? A couple years ago? So I think this would have been 2019, and mm-hmm. I had been invited to uh, deliver the main session for an organization called Leadership Montana. I was so excited to get the invitation, and so I had proposed to them to do a session on passion, right? Because we talked so much about passion and leadership. And I really wanted to hone in on the downside of passion, because I think it's kind of trite. We're like, follow your passion. Don't do it without passion. It's like really over the top. So I wanted to talk a little bit about like what passion is and what it is in the brain. Um, and as I was designing it, you were training. What was the race that you were training for? <clears throat> yeah, it was a, um, that was the uh, Run Rabbit Run. Uh, so it was a hundred mile ultra marathon uh, in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Yeah. So I trained that race is in uh, is in early September, uh, and I had trained through a series of other ultra marathon events. Uh, you know, I've been training for like eight or nine months or something for that. For that event, um, yeah. Yeah, we kind of <laughs> lost track of you during that yeah. window. We hadn't seen much of you. I was in it deep. You were. Yeah. And so, you know, very good friends with your lovely wife. And so keeping tabs, was checking in, how's it going? What's happening? How's he doing? Um, and then I just got a picture of you from her on crutches <laughs> moving through the parking lot. And I was like, all right. So I saw those pictures on crutches and it happened to really correspond and correlate with the training I was putting together, talking about obsessive passion versus harmonious passion. Um, And it was the most concrete example I could use of talking about how something that brings you to life and gives you so much purpose had gone to an obsessive state. And it was so obsessive, in fact, that it restricted you from pursuing what 
makes you feel most alive. So you became the uh, cautionary tale and photos of you were sprinkled throughout. You were the case study. (laughs) (laughs) I was happy to help. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's so interesting in what I do, you know, in my capacity as a coach is helping people realize their full potential, but that, that, that process or that pursuit can, uh, can, can get in the way of what's actually best for us. Best for us. And it's interesting. I think when people are super passionate, occasionally they'll pursue that passion to the point where they can't even express it. So, and this was case in point, right? Like this is what fuels you personally, professionally. Um, and you took it so far that you couldn't even fucking walk. Right. Right. So like, and and so I think it was just a really good example of how sometimes we let those things get away from us. Right. So the cost benefit analysis on that, like you paid a big cost for chasing it so deeply. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's, it was in the moment you and I've talked about this a lot, but in the (laughs) moment it seemed like such a clear, uh, like the answer was so clear. Like I, so like quick recap, I I felt great. I was probably in the best, like, well, I'd say probably, I was certainly in the, in the best running shape of my life from an ultra distance perspective. <clears throat> I felt great uh, up until like 75 miles. The race ended up being about 110 miles. And, uh, and my ankle started to hurt. And so like it got progressively worse to the point where I ended up essentially like, uh, not even essentially, I drug my left leg for 50 kilometers, yeah. which is a little over 30 miles. Um, because, Very healthy behavior. Yeah, but it, but in the <laughs> like it was, it seemed so clear in that moment, like that that was the answer. I was like, oh, I just keep going. Um, the blowback from that was was massive. I spent really years, yeah, um, like up until today, like still really trying to work on my body mechanics. Like it set off this chain of of things that have like plagued me really again to this day so in that speech like how what how how did you make that distinction like between you know how do we know like how do we know what's healthy and what's not or like yeah I I need to know (laughs) I know we all need to know well so I, I think good context is provided so that audience consisted of pretty predominant leaders from around the state of Montana most of which have no affiliation with endurance athletics which is what i'll call that as somebody who does not come from the sphere of influence (laughs) right um but it was a great example of how we get in our own way and how we take ourselves down right and in that situation um it felt clear to me that you were not in your executive brain you were in your lizard brain because we don't make decisions like that when we're using our good executive reasoning and so i tied that back in um to emotional intelligence and one of the models that i love to use when i'm teaching that content Um, comes from what's known as choice theory. So that was authored by this guy named William Glasser. Uh, And choice theory is commonly seen as the basis for reality therapy, which is a pretty, um, in like cognitive behavioral therapies, like pretty commonly used practice these days when we're going to counseling. Um, But what Glasser asserted is that all behaviors are the expression of a need or an unmet need. Um, And the way he defines needs is pretty interesting. So he talks about how we all have our physiological needs, right? So that's going to be food, water, shelter, safety, and that when we're pursuing those needs, our brain will react in a manner that says, like, this is a matter of life. But he takes it a step further and says that we have four psychological needs um, that are biologically wired 
um, in a way and in a manner that makes our brain believe those are also physiological needs. So a matter of life or death. Um, and those four needs are love and belonging, uh, which the way he talks about that is the expression of validation and acceptance and inclusion. Uh, the next need is power, which is part of why I love this model. And it's not about power over, right? It's not like I'm going to thump you on the head or take control, but power in this model is like, do I contribute? Do I matter? Am I receiving recognition? The next one is freedom, which is about autonomy and learning through doing and learning through experience and having that creative force. And then the last one is fun, which is amazing and part of why I love this model. And so what Glasser said um, fun for him is really being in flow state. Um, mm. So I'm sure you know what flow state is. You guys talk about it in your work. Yeah. Right. So yeah. when we're so present to something that we're not all freaked out, worried about yesterday or tomorrow, we're just completely at the cascade. Right. So it's a really good example, I think, and I'm curious on your thoughts on it, but of somebody's psychological needs maybe taking over in a matter that made it seem like it was life or death when it wasn't to a point that you got in your way and actually removed yourself from a healthy level of passion. Yeah. Like what, what's the thing? Uh, I thought about this a lot cause you and I have talked about it and like what, what, it, what was it for me that made that decision seem so clear in the moment? Yeah. And I like, it's a great way to like, it seemed, um, it, it seemed like it, uh, it was life or death. I was like, Oh, like, if quitting is not an option, like if that's death, like then I have to keep moving, which is silly. Like I could have just bailed. Like you were not using executive reasoning. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like rationality and judgment were not in play. Like right. there was something that was driving you yeah. to what did you 30 miles that you're like, I'm going to drag my leg. Like this is the most obvious solution. So <laughs> yeah. was it because you felt like, I mean, if we bring it back to the needs, right? So if it were about love and belonging, like maybe there was this part of you that felt like, gosh, in order to hold the station um, in the space that I do in this community, like I have to be able to do this in order to feel validated, included. Mm. Was it a power need where it was like, this is how I contribute, how I matter, I need the recognition. Maybe you're feeling strapped down by just the realities of running a business and you needed to feel free and autonomous. Or maybe for you, that was actually fun. Right. Like maybe. And the one thing I didn't mention is that fun need is actually. So when we talk about being in flow state and being present, we understand that when we are in flow state, it takes far fewer repetitions to lay down a new neural pathway than it otherwise would. Mm -hmm. So fun isn't actually about how we define fun as much as it's about our ability to learn new things. Mm -hmm. But so, if okay, so love and belonging, power, freedom or fun. If you had to guess right now, which one of those needs might have been driving that? Yeah. Probably, um, I've really, I mean, I've tried to, to like put a, a, you know, a finer point on this. Uh, I think it's probably love and belonging. I mean, the thing that I, and let me know if this doesn't fall into this category. Um, I think in that, you know, what it takes um, to do something like that is, is, um, is a very selfish endeavor. Okay. And and I, I'm very aware of that for for a number of reasons. I think you're very aware of it when you're in that when you're in that space because because it takes so much time. And that, like you said, you didn't see me, uh, and no. nor did many people, including my wife. Um, and but then you, it also requires such a strong support network. So if that thing is going to be selfish, and you know that it also is going to require buy-in from the people that support you, like. And so I felt this, I didn't want to let them down. You know, there had been so many people that had 
bought into my need to or my desire to to do this thing. Uh, and I've and I've done lots of lots of hard things all over the world. Like <laughs> this thing just took on a life of its own for whatever reason. And I had done things like that before, but this thing just really ballooned. And it, um, you know, I think if I think about where I was at, like when I was making those decisions about like coming to an aid station and there was, there was medics there that could have taken me down. Like they, I mean, we were way in the back country, but that could have, could have gotten away. Well, you said takedown. I'm thinking like WWF, but I understand now that you're like, they could have evacuated. <laughs> they could have taken me down. Okay. Okay. So anyhow, so there were people there, like the door was there, the abort capsule existed. Like so many times. Yeah. I mean, you go through aid stations every handful of miles. Um, and I kept making that decision. And I think a lot of it, I think it was based or it came from a place of, of like understanding that support, like from the people around me that I trusted and cared about. And like, and really in a lot of ways, like sacrifice for my, for my, like, just want to do this thing. And I was like, I don't want to let them down, you know? Really? I, okay. So I know you've talked a good deal on this podcast about things like limiting beliefs and like mm. the stories we tell ourselves. So I'm curious for you in that moment when you were going by the abort capsule and you're like, no, I'm staying in. Like, what would it have meant if you had pulled up? Like, what? I, I mm. and like truly, like, what would that have meant? Right. Hmm. It's a good question. I mean, there's there's definitely no doubt there has to be a piece of it that is, um, uh like because of the space that I reside in yeah. that, that there was a felt like a lot more pressure to be like, there was a standard that, that I put on myself, Yeah, but there was a standard for me to, um, to perform. To perform yeah. Because before I got hurt, I was, I was running, I was running really well. So not only was it like a finishing thing, it was like a time thing. Yeah. So I was like, Oh no, you know, it wasn't good enough to like, in this world that I had built up, like it's construct that I had built up like in my head. Yeah. And then I think when I when things started to go downhill and I realized that like, okay, well that time's going to fall away. At least I can, uh, like I had, then I almost had to, like I almost like added more weight because then I had like disappointed people or I don't know. I No, it totally makes sense. So I'm curious. Um, it sounds to me, like potentially there was a belief in there. Something first, it was about time and performing at a high level, which seems really about power and not about. I feel like it's important too to like contextualize. Like power is not a bad thing. Like I think we talk about power in our culture as if it's some fatal flaw. It's not right. Mm. Like, but I think for you, like I need to matter. I need to contribute. If I perform at this level, that somehow substantiates that says I'm allowed to do this work. Mm. Right. Like it says it gives me permission. <clears throat> and then when that dissolved it almost sounds like there was like this secondary and maybe even more urgent of, Oh my God, if I can't finish like finish, mm -hmm. then what does that mean about who I am in this space? If I can't even finish this right now. Yeah, for sure. There was a lot, <clears throat> there was a lot of pressure self-imposed, you know, and like you said, that's, that's a very, like, um, it comes from a, from a place of limiting beliefs, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I've done a lot of work in that space to, to, to know like when I'm, I didn't know it then, but like in hindsight, I was like, oh man, like I was coming from 
Yeah, I was making decisions from like a triggered space. Oh, complete uh, limiting beliefs too. I always feel like we talk about limiting beliefs as like I've been doing the work, but it's like really fucking whackable, right? Right. Like you can literally be building a new limiting belief while trying to deconstruct another yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> there's this idea, like you know, and I, I um, that like I guess I think it it like is in the same work, I guess the same camp of that type of work is like knowing when you're like triggered or not. Yeah. And like, how do you, how are you supposed to fucking know? Like, you know, like, people, like I, I do a lot of work to like try to understand like how to be productive in like, you know, when I'm in these different spaces and it's, it's so hard to know like when you're in a triggered and I've like written down my triggers, right? Like I've done like, Okay, like in it, and they're like this trigger leads to this trigger leads, and that, and then there's like linkages to limiting beliefs, and like when I'm in that space, I still don't know what's going on. That's so crazy to me because so when I'm again, so for me, emotional intelligence, a lot of that's going to come back to understanding um, what are those limiting beliefs, what is emotion. Emotion really is just fight or flight, right, mm-hmm. or freeze. You're like, oh, it's going to fucking kill me, right? Like it's. I always like to say. You know, you can go to a party and somebody doesn't give you a good body angle to join a circle and you have that jolt and it's because mm. your body's like, I'm going to fucking die. Right. Mm. Like so often that stuff is going to be felt in your body. So it's curious to me that like when you're saying like, oh, I don't know what I'm in a triggered state <clears throat> because that first step in emotional literacy is actually feeling it in your body. Right. Mm. So you're going to have that physical split second reaction um, that truly is your body's chemistry changing to go into fight or flight that oftentimes tells us we're moving into an emotional space, i.e. something that's triggering us. Um, so it's yeah. curious to me, like I'm, I'm just interested in your perspective on that as somebody who is attuned to their body, but in a state where your body is being pushed mm. to this maximum level, like what would it be like to be able to pick that up in your body, which is kind of the rule of thumb with this stuff. Right. I, is it because like, like I wonder if there's any, uh, I'm just thinking out loud, like is there any link to, like if you're used to being uncomfortable, like or more like used to like is it I feel like sometimes I just like whitewash it, you know, where I'm like, oh like like uh, you know, oh I'm um I'm like in a heightened state. Yeah. But I I like I purposely put myself in that place a lot. So like it feels maybe less Totally. No, that's what I mean. Like that's what's coming up for me right now, like authentically. Like we've bullshitted about this so much, but I'm like, whoa, like if the sort of standard teaching tool around this work is like noticing your body, right? Like, are you clenching your fist? Do you feel it in your chest? Do you feel it in your gut? Right? Like what are these things that are happening? But as an athlete, like you are in that state already. So what would it look like? How might you pick up and recognize that you're being motivated by a psychological need that's telling you you're going to die when you're not going to die. I'm thinking it has something to do with mindfulness and noticing your story. Right. So for example, when you were like, I'm not pulling off. I'm trying to think about what was driving that, right? Like, it's like, how could you have gotten underneath of that story for yourself in that moment to recognize that actually as a coach and a leader to say I'm pulling off might have been the most impactful thing you could have done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know that now. Yeah. But I'm curious, like what might it have been like? Like, and that's a, like a genuine question. Like how might you have been able to get to the truth of that story in the moment when your body was already in the super heightened state? Right. I don't know, because it almost feels like too, you know, in those scenarios, like when you're when you're pushing yourself really hard or far or whatever, that you 
things become very, um, very condensed. So it, it actually like, it, it's almost like they're not, it's not very heightened. And my point being is that it almost feels like it should have been easier. Sure. Because they're, and I, it wasn't clearly, uh, <laughs> but it feels like again, now, I mean, this, this, this race was two years ago at this point. Um, that I should have had the ability or the mindfulness or that that space should have led itself or, or lent itself to, to that. Cause there was so, there was no distractions. Yeah. All I had to do was move and cope with that injury or not move or yeah. leave. Yeah. And, and there was nothing and feed myself along the way, but, but it still was not, um, I don't know. Or maybe it was clear. Like, I guess that's what I come back to as well is that like, it did seem so clear in that moment that that was the answer. But you can't see it though. I, exactly. So I think, have we talked about stop challenge shoes? Uh-uh. Oh my God. Okay. So stop challenge shoes is literally my favorite tool. Um, when I teach and when I coach, if I can get people to walk away with the grasp of this tool, I feel like I've done my job. Um, but stop challenge shoes is really about in that moment when you're like, okay, this is intense. I know that I'm feeling pain. I'm inclined to go this direction, um, is to take that moment of pause in your brain and to say, okay, what am I telling myself that has me feeling this way and making this decision and just surfacing those subconscious thoughts? Cause a lot of times those subconscious thoughts are really attached to our limiting beliefs and that unmet need or that psychological need that's really got its hands on the steering wheels. Right. So For you to say like, what am I telling myself right now that has me believing that this is the right course of action? Um, And getting clear on that. And then the next part is, and what other interpretations are available? Mm. Right? So to be like, okay, I'm telling myself, like giving yourself like pop in the hood is what I call it. Like (laughs) I'm telling myself that if I can't finish or if I don't do this or that, like being honest, like I'm telling myself that that might delegitimize me. I'm putting words in your mouth or... Mm take away from what I'm doing. And it's like, and then what other interpretations are available? And, you know, if I were to stop, like, what might that say about me? What might that say about my role in the space? And then choosing a behavior based on that. Hood. Right. Yeah. It, it makes me think about too, I mean, a lot of, um, what I, the work that I do and the stuff that I talk about is, is this kind of idea that, um, or not an idea, this, this very <laughs> fact that like, you know the decisions we make and and the path that we choose should bring value to our lives so specifically for me and the work that I do it's like if you're um, if you're going to sign up for an event or you're going to you're going to commit to a certain training regiment um, that thing should provide value and to use me as an example like that decision did not provide value Right. No, it did not bring any. But it could have the risk. You were taking a risk that could have. <clears throat> right, but we, and yeah, for sure. Sorry, keep going. But no, I mean, but like, you know. but we get wrapped up in making decisions that don't bring value because of some external thing, right? Like, I clearly made that decision, but it was not best for me. No, but I made it for a variety of reasons that were external, and and people do that all the time. Like, you know, again, like people that I talk to, like, okay, like I want to sign up for this race. I'm like, okay, do you care about this thing? And they're like, well, no, but my buddy's doing it. I'm like, well, that's not the reason. Like, okay, let's like, it has to bring, okay. And then we back up even to more like process oriented things. It's like, do we, what's a, what's a week look like? 
right? Yeah. How, how does that movement, we can call it training or workouts or whatever, but how does that consistent movement become a positive touch point in your life? And that people overdo it all the time yeah. because they see what other people are doing. Sure. Right? It's like social it's media. It's an after school, but like that you're literally talking about after school specials. Mm. Well, aren't you though? Yeah, I mean, you know right. what I mean? Where it is, it's like, it sounds like there's like that social pressure, like having your eye on that long-term goal and not necessarily thinking about like, there's what we're doing and who we're being while we're doing those things. Um, And that, I I mean, I I think you're right. I think a lot of times we get caught up in what we're doing and what that goal is and neglect like who we're being in that moment, Mm. whether that's chasing it because your friend's doing it or because somebody told you you should, or because maybe you were raised in a family that this was like the bar of achievement. And so to simply go out and take a run is not nearly enough. Right. Like, Right. So I think focus get like folks get caught up on that doing behavior and mm. you got caught up on doing like you weren't thinking about who you were being in that moment right. you were focused on what you were doing, yeah. which is super similar to the work that I do right in leadership, cult- like coaching and consulting and, um, you know, work with like civic and public institutions like that trap exists like anywhere you're expressing yourself um, in a way that is aligned with passion or desire or purposefulness that's the edge that we ride, right? Mm. Like, it's like, who am I being? What am I doing? And that's, that comes right back to that passion piece. Right. <clears throat> so like what, cause what I have tried to do, like if we use that, my experience and you using, using me, uh, you know, in that experience. As a teachable moment. A teachable you moment. were the after school special. Yeah. So, you know, what <laughs> I have tried to do with that experience is, is cause you said it like what the way that I have, could probably have been more va- that experience could have been more valuable was for me to make a different decision. Totally. Like what would you be telling the people that you coach if you were like, I pulled out? Right. Like what's that sharing with them? Right. That's well, and like, problem. and, and, and I would have always told and will, and will, you know, do currently like would have told an athlete that I work with that like, that you should have absolutely completely, you know, like that one singular moment is not worth the, the pursuit of your full potential long term. And I made the antithesis of that yeah. decision. That's the power of a limiting belief though. Like, so right. when I teach limiting beliefs, I always put up a picture and it's a drawing because I could not handle an actual photograph, but of an elephant, like with a rope tied around its leg, like mm. just its lower leg tied to a stake, right? And so, and talking about like limiting beliefs, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, like they have that level of gravity over us, right? Like, so if you can look at this pachyderm, like one of the largest mammals on earth who's convinced that it can now not move because of past experiences. So somewhere in you, there's a limiting belief that is directly attached to performance, right? Mm. Like, and you know, it's not true for other people, Mm. but do you know, it's not true for you? Mm. Right. And like, that's the weirdness. You and I share this, like we're coaches, we're teachers. I can tell you all the shit, but put me on the stove, put (laughs) me in the hot pan. I'm going to fuck up. Like, (laughs) and that, cause we all still have those limiting beliefs. Like that's why it's important that we have those conversations and think about it's not just about what performance I'm delivering. It's about what's underneath, like what's driving it. Right. <clears throat> so if we use, again, so I've tried to use like my experiences, of course, to like inform <clears throat> how I work with athletes, things that we talk about on this podcast. So like what's your, because this is, this is something I'm really interested in, like as just a student of the, the human work. the human condition the work the work yeah, yeah that's a good way to put it is like so like how 
how do we um, like what's your role as a coach, right? I guess is because you. I mean, we've talked about this. Is you yeah. know the work that you and I do is like different. We have different clients. Yeah. But the convergence is is very very similar. Yeah. And and I think that that is where people, um, again, like we were talking about this before we started the podcast. It's like people in my my world are like, oh, coaches are here to write. Write training plans. Right. And I'm like, no, we got a lot of work to do before we get to the training plan. Right. And right. There's, there's a lot of foundational pieces that we have to have in place and better be strong before we get about me and about that person. Totally. And then about our relationship together, coach and athlete. So like, what's, what's it look like to, to coach from, from your perspective, I guess. That's no. a really broad question. No, I totally get it though. I'm tracking you. Um, so I think that, so my background, again, is in personal professional development, fundamental skills, leadership. Um, I got my life coach certification, not because I was like, I'm, I'm ready to change your life, but because people had told me it would support me in really deepening my listening, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what happened for me. But within that program, what I understood and what I learned is that to truly coach is is just about being a mirror for somebody else, right? That I am here to reflect back to you. There's no guidance. There's no instruction. There's no direction. I'm simply giving you an opportunity to bounce off of me and reflect back what I'm hearing, ask powerful questions, try and create insight. Um, but I think what you and I both do actually runs the spectrum, right? So if you think about the continuum um, of these styles of relationships, it starts with teaching, which is one directional, like I'm giving you information, I'm downloading you, I'm building your knowledge. That progresses to mentoring, which mentoring is more about uploading, learning about you, but then again, giving you that clear, explicit direction and then moving to coaching, which is just that reflection. And I think that's what's really interesting about both of our work, because it's going to require us to move across that continuum. Like there's going to be times where I need to teach. There's going to be times where I need to fully reflect and coach. And then there's going to be times where it's more collaborative and it's in mentorship. Mm -hmm. Um. So it's interesting because your work is so like coach has such a distinct meaning. Right. But I think when you're coaching in your world, you're teaching, you're mentoring and coaching. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I try to, um, it's interesting, you know, with, with specifically with the athlete population is that it, it does the first inclination uh, is that it's, it's very linear, right? That I would say typically there is not it again, this is like specific to to like the coach, the athletic coach, you know, athlete relationship, is that it's um it's the teacher. Yeah. Right? It's like, okay, you deliver info. Yeah. And I'll process that and execute and, and rinse and repeat. Sure. And what truly makes like there has to be collaboration. Eventually. Eventually, yeah. Oh, so then okay, well, then what's the timeline? Like, or not the timeline, like, do because I I I I will admit that I I think or I know like that I I I probably try to rush that, right? Where I'm like, let's like let's Of course you do. Let's get to it. Of course you do, performance man. <laughs> <laughs> of no, so what's coming up for me, so I think another cool definition of coaching comes from the model of situational leadership. Um, situational leadership is uh, some work by a guy named Ken Blanchard, right? Like everybody's favorite kind of pseudo-scientist corporate guy. But essentially what he says is that all leadership 
or coaching in this case, um, should be adapted. There's no one right way, right? And that we adapt those approaches through our level of direction and our level of support. And in that model, the direction is sort of our micromanaging one-dimensional teaching behaviors and support is more of the uploading, reflecting coaching behaviors. And we adjust those levels of direction and support based on the level of commitment and competency in the people we're working with. Mm. So for example, so think of it this way, right? So you have a brand new client, right? Or I have a brand new client. So that person would be known as an enthusiastic beginner. So like super high commitment, low competency, right? So these are the folks who the only thing driving them in that moment is their story about what's about to happen, right? So I like me in my physical fitness journey would categorize this of like, yep, it's time. I have all the materials. This is how it's going to go, but I haven't done shit. I just have the story in my head. Meanwhile, my competency is so low. I don't even know what I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're going to be super directive, one dimensional, giving you information. But we understand that after a short period of time, something that will happen will, will happen to pop that bubble of commitment in my head, my expectations and my story. So my commitment low is low and my competency is now low. And that's when you move into what that model calls coaching, which is high direction. I'm still teaching you, but also high support. Now I'm bringing in those broader reflective um, kind of uploading behaviors. It's a super cool model because when we hit that point, then we're building up that competency. When the competency is up, that's when you back down as a coach and move into that fully reflective model Mm. and cut them loose. Right. Point being, there's actually a roadmap for this. Yeah. Do I've heard the um, uh, I forget where it was at. I I wish I could quote the, the or give credit, but that there's actually like a um, if you if you do your job well enough as a coach, there's a point where the person doesn't need you anymore. Absolutely. Right? Well, so in that model, right? Yeah, I'm like trying to I'm I'm like at, I just yeah. want to like tell this whole model right now, but I'm trying not to. So if we follow that arc, right? Like, so if we're like, I'm going to be high direction, low support as I'm, when you're first year, I'm going to move into coaching. I'm going to back off on my direction when I can see that you have it, you know it, you understand your routine, you understand the mechanics, you know what needs to be done. And that's where I back off and start just fully reflecting to you, right? That's when I'm going to move into that, you know, kind of embodying, just mirroring you. When we do that, we help people understand that they know their shit and that mm-hmm. they can do it. And that's when they meet that high level of performance. Like that's how we get their commitment up and their competency up. But it's dabbling with those two levers that right. gets them there. <clears throat> do people hang like, or is it a crutch? Like do people hang on to coaching relationships because they, they're afraid? Cause that's a, that's a big yeah. leap, right? For, I mean, for a lot of people or, or some people at least is like, because then you're out there on your own, right? Right. But it, it is, is the next step then that you, you feel like you don't, have that support right like the, the coach and the I think when people hold on to it it's because the coach failed frankly mm. right like so I think that coach failed like I think one of the greatest ways that we fail people is by not being super directive up front mm. right like so we're starting with like what do you want what do you hope to see assuming that these people who don't even know what they don't know have the ability to give us that information right and yeah. so when we fail on that first step we create a dynamic that's not a good fit and we never get to that point where we're developing that competency up. So yeah, there's totally people that hold on, but it's usually the coach's failure because they weren't strong enough and directive enough out of the gate. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I mean, that, and cause that's always the, there's this, I, I, I guess I, you know, I'm interested in how this manifests itself for you and your coaching clients, but <clears throat> that that's a hard, um, it harder, like maybe like a nuanced place to arrive at between like a, a coach and an athlete. 
Sure. Just knowing like when, so the, the goal would be that we, you know, you build this super strong relationship. These are things that take a long time. We're talking, you know. But they should end. Right. But it's hard to know when they, it's hard to know when they should end. <laughs> well, but they, I think that they, they end, I mean, as a coach, my, I am, my ambition always as a coach is to give somebody a level of confidence a level of competency and a commitment to whatever they're working on that they don't need me. Right. Right. Like, so if I'm like working with a client and I'm trying to keep them with me, I'm stunting. Mm. Like that's me stunting them. Now, when will they come back or when does it change when the relationship with self or what they're working on is shifting or they're taking up a new initiative? So for me, that looks like, Oh, okay. You're a leader and now you have a new team or you take it on a new position. So let's coach that out again. Right. Right. For you, that might be overcoming an injury or taking on a new modality. But like, I mean, I mean, sure. Is it nice to maintain those relationships? You bet. But like, I don't know. For me, the goal of coaching should be letting people walk on their own. Right. I've seen that play out. You know, I've been doing it long enough where like, you know, uh, and I've, I've like ended, I don't say ended, but like, you know, had conversations with athletes to be like, you got it. Like you should go on, you know, like you don't, this point, like I'm just, I'm just doing what you know should be done. Like you could do this work too. Yeah. But then they've come back. Like, yeah. like you said, when the, like, when the, like the thing changes, the yeah. goal or the, their perspective or their life circumstances, things get more dynamic. Um, that always feels really great and productive. And honestly, like that's probably where like the relationship is the strongest is like, you know, if you love it, let it go right type thing and like okay like bye see you later and then like maybe i've had it happen like years past totally and they're like oh hey like this this and this is going on like let's and like oh now it's different right like now the, the circumstances have changed the way that we approach this thing the way that i apply my skills coming in for a tune-up yeah that's what i always call it right like so i have that same situation where i'll coach people out for a year sometimes longer right depending on what they're dealing with and where we're starting um and I'll even be the one to be like, hey, hey, I think it's time. I think you need to give this a shot. Go on your own, you know, and then they'll come back and put two maps. Right. And every now and again, they're like, hey, I'm actually at, with a new, I work with a lot of nonprofits. So maybe those folks have moved to a new organization or, you know, taken on a new career path. And it's like, yeah, the game's changed. Your commitment and competency are different now. So now my role is to get you back. Like, let me bring you back up. And sometimes it's natural for our commitment to just wane and be cyclical. Um, and so folks will reach out when they know their commitments down for a little jolt, you right. know, but I, and it might be different than the work that you do. Mm. Well, that really struck uh, this idea that like things will have like kind of natural, you know, seasons or like for, for athletes, it's, it, there is actual seasons, right? There's times when things happen and then there's like events or goals. You can put mm-hmm. outcome based, you know, goals on the calendar, but that's a really hard thing for the people that I work with or the space that I am predominantly in is like this idea that there is a natural ebb and flow that like people really, and maybe it's the same in your space or maybe it's just like the human condition, but this idea that you're not always operating at like maximal performance. So in the end of the situational leadership model, the final kind of level, right? So you'd be enthusiastic beginners, disillusioned learners, reluctant contributors. And the final stage in that are peak performers and peak performers are kept, like uh, characterized by a high level of commitment and a high level of confidence. And what I always tell people is like, that's not the goal. Like we're not like sort of, and then you're a peak performer for forever, right? Mm. 
if you get to hit that a few times in your life, in your pursuit, in your passion, that's fucking badass, right? But you will slip back. Like, so it's something we cycle in and out of. It's not a state that we like obtain and hold on to. And that's where coaching, like my job as a coach is to get you into peak performance as many times as possible. And when you're peak performing, I need to leave you alone. Like really like cheer you on. Like you've got it. You did this yourself. You know what to do. If I show up and answer your questions or make it seem like you don't have the answers, I'm actually detracting from your ability to peak perform. Now, when that person notices that they're slipping out of that peak performance, come back and find me. Right. And then we're going to figure out, is it a competency issue? Is it a commitment issue? What base did we build? How do we drive you back? Push you back up to peak performance? And now I'm going to go over here for a little while. Yeah. The same thing applies. I mean, there's like what base, and we use that same terminology in, in like endurance sports is like you have, you have your base, like period. So we think, talk about like physiological adaptation. You have like base, build, peak type, you know, progression. And, sure. and, and then you hit the, if we think, if we understand that model, we know that the, it's it's brief blips where you peak, yeah. And we're gonna try to get the stars to align where that peak coincides with an outcome based goal. Absolutely, because you're as you said, your folks are coming in generally with a very specific goal. Yeah, how do you peak at that time? But even then, like it's a crapshoot, right? Totally. Like, like who knows? Well, because the thing is, is there's so many things, and and this is why I love that you focus on fundamental skill development in your work, because there's so many things you can be coaching an athlete. And they're right there. And then something happens. You and I both know pet loss, right? Like, so you you lose a pet or like you're having a problem with an intimate relationship. And that will impact your commitment and your competency at that time, right? And you have the biological components that I don't fully understand. But there's so many social and emotional things. You're like, we can aim, friend. Like, right. we can aim. But like, who knows what's going to happen? Like, right. I don't know what's going to happen. <clears throat> I say that all the time. Like, you know, and this has been said about a number of things. It's like, you know, what we're trying to accomplish doesn't happen in a vacuum. And and athletes, myself included, we're really notorious for for pretending that our our pursuits as as athletes are somehow removed from the other shit that's going on in our life. Right? That's like, a weird form of armor, man. Yeah, we're like, oh, that's another <laughs> that's another thing. That's a weird form. Yeah, of we're armor. like, no, like you know, I'm uh, you know my kids going through this hard time at school or, you know, my, my, like you said, like my, you know, intimate relationships are falling apart, but like, but that doesn't impact my training. But I got to crush it. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> like that, what? And, I mean, I'm talking like daily. Totally. I hear stories, you know, and not necessarily people that I work with one-on-one, but just like with our coaching group is just like, you have to take, you have to understand like the greater context and that, like, in that, it's there. There has to be some. You have to try to strive for some sort of. Um, I don't want to say balance, like, like flow is like the. Well, it's like even an awareness because coming back to talking about like psychological needs and limiting beliefs. So, for example, and not that this was the case, but when we go back to the example we gave of you in that race, like, you had a, there was a limiting belief that was activated. Right. There was something about performance and achievement and that being correlated with like value and like people's willingness to embrace you. That could have come because you had a bad conversation with your dad. Right. right. Like there could have been like, oh, my dad doesn't appreciate me unless I perform. Right. Like, I mean, so that shit is completely intertwined. So you can come totally have something happening in your personal life that activates a limiting belief there. 
that now you are trying to express and meet through your athletic performance. And to not understand the connection between those things sets you up to injure yourself and then you're fucked and now you're on crutches. <laughs> and now you actually, and what's interesting, right? Like in that situation is you actually, because you took on such an extreme behavior, you actually created the conditions to prove it true. Right. right? So right. you were like, Oh, if I can't perform, if I can't do it in this time, if I can't finish, but you actually chase that so hard that you created the conditions to prove that like, you're like, well, what better way to prove that I can't finish in this time to like, then to be unconscious. Right. Which probably not your dad, but like has something to do with like someone's dad. Sure. Right. <laughs> Does yeah. that make sense? Somebody's dad. Somebody's dad is super involved with this, but do you know what I mean? Like right. it's, it really is. It's like, if you're not applying these skills across the board, they absolutely show up in your pursuit and to try and categorize them and say like, no, these are other, like, it's just false, man. Yeah. I know. I, I, I always try to like use athleticism as, as like a, I don't know, like an arm, right? It's like one thing that's going on in your life and like it can, and it can be an important thing. Like it can, it can be something you really care about, but it can't be the only thing right? like you have to have, because if it's the only thing and like, maybe I'm wrong, like when that thing goes sideways and it will, yeah. like if that's your, if that's your, if, if you don't have like a diversified identity, it, it things start to fall apart. Well, and I don't even know if it's like, it can't be the only thing as much as it's just not, mm. it's just not like, even if mm. you're like, I am hermit and like, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. Like, even if you feel like you are completely siloed and you have no intimate relationships and this is strictly the only thing you focus on, like you still have a history. Like you mm. still went to public school. You still have a family or maybe you don't have a family, but you have whatever condition that you were raised in. Like, it's just not you. Right. It's not that it can't, it, it just, it, it's not that it can't be. It's just that it's inherently not. Right. To disregard those other components is actually taking away from your ability to perform. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I see it play out all the time. It's just like when we try to create these silos, it actually gets in the way, ironically enough, of our ability to to produce or execute in the yes. silo we're trying to create. It's just like crazy round and round. <laughs> it is. You know? it, no, it completely is. And, you know, a lot of my work, there's a, the leadership component of it. And then I oddly also do a lot of management coaching, which sounds silly, but here's the deal. Like, Nobody aspires to be a manager. So the majority of folks, you're like not a bad example. Like you weren't like, hey, you know what I want to do? Manage. Right? <laughs> but when you reach a certain level, like that's just inherently part of what you're doing, right? right? Like you're having these management pieces. And so I always encourage folks who are managing and supervising folks, the more we can do to bring people's full lives into concert, like I need to know what's happening for you personally to the point that you're comfortable with. Like you deserve your privacy, but let me know what's happening personally. Let me know if you need to leave early to take care of your kids. Let me know if your favorite yoga instructor only teaches at 10 on Tuesdays. And so you just need that time out, right? Like these, our lives should be integrated. And mm -hmm. I, I think that we oftentimes demand and maybe, it, I don't know, maybe it's corporate culture. We expect those things to be separate, but the more integrated somebody is, in my opinion, the better they're going to perform. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I, I mean, I think about that in relation to like, um, like a training plan and this idea that, that you, 
So I've, I've, I continue to, I continue to make the argument every day in the work that I do. Like, it's not about writing. It, there's like two, there's two arms. It, you have like a training plan that's made through the lens of like physiology. So yeah. you, you would have like build base peak. And, and there's these, and like, I can, I can, I can write a really kick-ass. You better. Right. Well, I better do it. <laughs> but that doesn't, yeah, I better. I mean, um, no. <laughs> uh, I'm really good. I actually would prefer to like not, I know, I would love for it to be more nuanced than that, which is what I'm about to say. Okay, okay. Is that you... So, like, if you lead with that, that doesn't have that doesn't mean that it's that it's integrated into that individual's Correct. life. So then we have like so we have physiology, like where we have general physiological principles that would uh, would would you know include overreaching, overload, supercompensation, all these types of things. Yeah, that's all well and good. Then you then you have a person, and then that those things fall apart nearly immediately. You're, well, you're like, okay, well, then that none of the, it doesn't matter if like five days of this and then two days of that, and then if we go up and down, how is it integrated in that individual's life? Yes. So that it, one, so that it's productive, so that it's sustainable, so that it makes sense, so that they feel like they are integrated into that process versus it's, it's this, this thing that like sits on the exterior of their life that they're like pulling in. You know, I think like, when it's on the exterior, it's armor. There's something like they're mm. they're and, and sorry to people in podcast land if you feel seen by this, but I think when we're like overly in pursuit of the training plan and that siloed and it's this other thing, I'm like, no, you're armoring yourself against something that's not working for you in your life right now. Right. I think about folks that are doing the work that you do. Like, how could you talk about your work without talking about nutrition, for mm. example? Mm. Right. Like, you have to talk about like. How could you not talk about it? I feel the same way as like, how could you do this without talking about like socio-emotional health and the quantity and quality of the relationships you carry? Like it's impossible. Mm. It's absolutely impossible. Like to be a good coach, like you could not not have a skill set in this area to understand the psychological needs, right? Like love and longing, freedom, power, fun, like where are you with commitment and competency? Like how are, like what's the quality of your intimate relationships? Not meaning I need to counsel you, but I have to understand those things are at play. I don't think that you could coach somebody to a level of peak performance without noticing. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I wonder. I mean, you could, you just might not be. Good. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I'm really good. You are. <laughs> I love that you're, I love, love, love seeing you bring this stuff into play and like, bringing this into the spectrum and the constellation of how you're looking at your clients and recognizing that, yeah, we can have a plan and we can think about your fitness and we can think about your goals, but also beginning to give yourselves the skill set, right? Like not even beginning, like it's something you've always intuitively done, but focusing on it in your company, recognizing that I don't necessarily need to debrief the situation with you and your wife, but like understanding that there's a situation there, at least bringing your awareness to it that will impact your performance and your goals. Right. Yeah. I mean, my, my like focus is always to try and pay attention in a way that allows me to, to, I guess be like timely in my, in like how I, what am I trying to say? Like timely in my guidance, I get you. Know, I don't know. I tell this to like my the team that I work with. It's like 
it 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 doesn't it doesn't do any good if we provide feedback or guidance in a time that doesn't resonate with the individual. Like you have to listen intently enough where like that when you say, let's say something as simple as good job, that was a great workout. Like it does it, is it timely enough that it's when that individual needs it? Right. Like was did they, I don't know. Like there feels like this, like, it, I don't know. I, again, this like, I, I tie this into like this integrated like component you were talking about where like it. Because we bring, we bring, we bring everything from everything that's behind us. We bring that to, if we're talking about a workout, we bring all that like baggage to that thing. So like, so what does it mean when a coach shows up in that specific moment based on the baggage that we brought to that? Was it harder Tuesday than it, you know, than it might've been last Tuesday? Maybe because of the stuff that we brought forward. And like, that's when a coach needs to show up. I think, do you, I agree. And it makes me curious. So one of the things that I bring to my coaching practice, um, is just experiential learning theory, right? Like, so experiential learning theory essentially says we don't learn from experience. We learn by reflecting upon it. Right. Um, right. So it's that reflection. So if somebody reaches out and says, I crushed it, I nailed it. This went super well. I'm like, right on. Like why? Right. Like, how did you come in? What was the prep work? What were the conditions in your situation? Like what was the environment that you were in that lent towards that going so well? Mm -hmm. Um, and I wonder if that's applicable. So if you're sitting here and saying, listen, like this was a good workout. Are we saying like, why, like Mm -hmm. why? And, and not just why from a biological lens, but from like a social emotional lens, Mm -hmm. like, How'd you come in? And, and they don't have to share that with you. That's private, right? Mm-hmm. That's personal. But even encouraging them to look at like what was happening with your kids, what was happening with your partner, like what was happening in your profession, like what were the conditions that were at play that led to that being a strong experience? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of um, like in our coaching practice, we, we use um, what we call like subjective wellness ratings. Which is this subjective wellness? Yeah. Okay, cool. Keep going. So it's uh, it's like stress and mood. Yes. And like so again, like it's emotional. It's not it's not physiological or biological. It's what what was the what was essentially our goal is to try to set the stage for what brought you into that yeah to that performance yeah good or bad yeah <clears throat> because really that is what probably matters most <clears throat> is like is what oh, you bring yeah. to that because. You know, and I've said this a ton. It's like if a coach does their job, like I, the workout is fine. Like I know that, like I'm not going to write a workout or prescribe a workout that is, you know, totally outside of an athlete's but when ability. But how like, you show up and embody it is always right. going to be to you. Yeah, and so like yeah, so when you your ability to perform and execute as an athlete probably has more to do with what you've brought to that to that to that experience than like your body's ability to execute on that thing. I like feel like there's a dead horse and I'm kicking it in the head and I like horses a lot. And so that makes me sad, (laughs) (laughs) but like, I wonder if there's room to continue to explore limiting beliefs within that. Right. Like, Mm. so it's like, if you're able, again, I'm going to talk about like they extend all spheres of life. So if they were to give you a low mood score, Mm -hmm. for example, (laughs) 
workout bad, frown face, right? Like, it's like, are we asking those questions to help us understand like what might've been driving that? Because uh, there are, to be clear, there are external factors that sometimes will inhibit that. But a lot of times our moods are completely dictated by the stories we're telling ourselves about Mm. situations, right? The story that your client might be telling themselves and my clients too, are telling themselves about a situation are generally those same stories they're going to tell themselves in a performance lens that will both drive them and inhibit them. So you, you feel like you should almost expand. Like then you should still ask why, right? If you, and you and I have talked about designing the alliance, right? Like oh. how do we design the alliance? Don't get me started. I like to design an alliance. I, I know. It's so good. I'm so glad you love it. Um, but if we're actually doing that work of the stop challenge, choose what's the story you're telling yourself? Like, you know, what am I telling myself that has me feeling this way? Has me thinking this way? That's going to reveal so much about those limiting beliefs. Right. And if we have that information and somebody's like, man, I've had five days in a row of a frowny face. day, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you're like, cool. As your coach, like I'm curious to your level of comfort, you don't have to tell me specificity, but like, here are some limiting beliefs and some stories we've told ourselves. Are those impacting things outside of the performance realm? How might I support you mm-hmm. in looking at that differently and bringing your full self? And you know what? It does get, I mean, you're riding the laser's edge, right? Like it's a little bit of like, I don't, I'm not your counselor, but also how can I coach you without bringing your awareness to the things that are truly. Hurting? Yeah. One of the, the like most impactful things that uh, like skills, that you uh, ever told me was this, um, like asking open-ended questions. Yes. You know, and so you, I mean, you just said like this, um, like how can I support you? Stop. Yes. Right. And then like, wait, uh, and I, this is something that comes up a lot, you know, as, as athletes and as coaches is, is that we, we try to like bolster our answers with some expertise. Yes. Right. When really what we need to do is just like, is stop talking. Yes. Right, on whatever side you're on. Yes. Um, That's a very hard thing to do. Well, so. For me. Trying to bring it all back, right? So what you're talking about is like, you're asking a question, but then you're actually answering that question, but you're answering that question as if it were a question. Mm. And oftentimes it has to do with your power need, Mm. right? Where you're like, well, I'm going to ask you a question, but I'm going to answer it, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to bring my tone up at the end Mm -hmm. so that you don't feel insulted, but I also need you to know I already know. Right. Right. Whereas coaching is like, no, like this is a powerful question. It's five words. What do you need? Yield curiosity. I'm not bringing my thinking to it because at the end of the day, I need to know what works for you. Yeah. And that's, it's, 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 it's like my favorite skill to develop uh, as a coach is to not, to know when to not insert my expertise. What are you learning about that? Um, it, it is, um, Couple of things. It's hard for me. Well, and, I, and I've said this to like my our, our coaching team as well. <clears throat> is that it? It when we lead, when we build relationships from a place of a lack of confidence, we 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 feel like we need to insert our expertise when it is not required. Right? We should only use our expertise as an opportunity to bolster the relationship. Yeah. Um, not as a leg to stand on. Everything you just said, okay, so I got it. Parallel processing is where you do something and then you can break it down to be like, we just did the thing we were talking about. Number one, I asked you a super powerful question, which is, what are you learning? Mm-hmm. Stop. 
So the best questions are open-ended five words, Mm -hmm. right? But everything you talked about is like, we're doing our best work when we're only injecting it when people need it. So if their competency is there or almost there, Mm -hmm. just give them the space and be quiet and let it be awkward because they'll fucking say something. Yeah. Right. You're like, no, I'm going to sit here and be awkward. And you're going to say something because now we're changing. Like, it's like literally like you're climbing over to the driver's seat and taking the steering wheel and it's going to be awkward and weird, but you know how to drive now. So I need you to come over here. Right. Like, so just being awkward, holding silence, letting them actually connect with the fact that they know stuff. So I think that ties right back into that situational leadership model. And it also ties back into choice theory because oftentimes if we're like, I'm going to say this thing again and again and again, even though you don't need it, it's because somewhere deep inside, I have a need for recognition and to feel like I matter and that I'm included. That has to do with my uncle Bob at Thanksgiving in 1984, <laughs> not looking at my Game Boy. Like, you know what I mean? Right. So I love that you're coaching people towards that. Like less is so much more yeah. coaching. It is when we've reached that, like you have to teach though. Like mm-hmm. there is that front end directive teaching when that's done back off. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's to the, to the end, you know, to the point that we, like, we have integrated, like, I believe in its power so much that, like, we have a design of the alliance, like, specific to our coaching practices that we lead with. Like, the I first conversation we have is, you know, it, we, you have to listen, right? So, I mean, you can't just, like, come out of the gate with, like, opening questions when the person doesn't know what's going on. They don't, because they don't know. Again, they don't even know what they don't know. Yeah, but (laughs) but so much of that from a coaching perspective is to understand how to integrate those questions that are powerful, like, Mm -hmm. while you're listening. You you have to be able to do it in real time in a way that is, um, that makes sense for that individual, right? Like, because everybody's different. So if I ask, what do you need to 10 different people? I mean, you know, their experience, what they brought to that conversation is going to be wildly different. Completely. And that's, again, that's their own. So I would encourage you to think about what are the psychological needs they're telling you about when Mm. you're answering those questions. Because at the end of the day, again, commitment, competency, those are going to waver. They're going to be all over the board. But when you ask those questions to people, they're giving you information. Mm-hmm. Like some people are driven because they want to have fun with it, right? For them, fun is presence, right? Like mm-hmm. just being in that moment. Some people, it's freedom, like autonomy, like, man, corporate slave, you know, mm-hmm. like I need to go run in the mountains. Like, cool. Like, let's direct your coaching in a way that meets that need. Power, love, and belonging. Like, they're giving you really important information. Yeah. They That's don't know what they don't know. Right. Yeah. But they also, this is, it's going to sound meta, which is completely fine. They don't know what they don't know, but their soul knows what it knows. And so when you're designing the alliance and asking those questions, if you're listening for those needs, you're going to get really important. I love that. Yeah. Like it's, it's, um, yeah, like you have to listen closely enough so that you understand, um, yeah, like what that person needs. I don't know. It's been one of the most like impactful practices and like journeys that I've been on in my coaching practices to like understand how to apply these like five word questions to, to like a spectrum of individuals and to revisit that too, like to have the, like create the space and to like have the, um, I don't know, 
to, to have the, the wherewithal to know like when to ask those questions again. Yeah. You know, like we don't revisit them enough. It doesn't seem like, like you're like, okay, great. And you're like, but like, I mean, you know, I've like, I've revisited them in, in like a few weeks. Like yeah. if something happens, it's like impactful for that individual. Yeah. I think, um, I love that you're saying that. So powerful questions, right? Those five word questions. Uh, the definition of a powerful question is a question that is designed to create insight and insight essentially says, I don't know the answer. You don't know the answer. This is based in true curiosity. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I, I don't know the answer to this question, it's completely based in curiosity, which forces me then to listen because I don't know the answer. And it truly means like your answer is the answer. Mm. Um, and that's, I think I love that you're seeing the power of those. Right. And it, and I think part of the power of the, of those questions is that it demands that we listen. Right. Cause there's not an answer. And it's really easy. We're talking about the, um, the teacher to the mentor to the coach spectrum. Teaching and mentoring require us to have some answers. And so oftentimes we ask questions that we know the answer to, to see like, okay, well, what do you know? So that I can fill in your knowledge, mm. right? Like, oh, you know that piece. Okay. That's pretty good. But also here's all the shit I know, um, which is part of my power need. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this stuff, it's so, and I feel like I'm writing, like there's, there's too many ideas in here, but I hope that people listening can get like one or two, like, all of these things dance together, like fundamental skills dance together, like right. all of this stuff. There's not one model. There's not one answer. It's about understanding, like, how might situational leadership apply here? How might choice theory apply here? How might active listening and powerful questions apply here? I think whether you're a coach or somebody who is receiving those services, understanding all these skill sets and knowing what to apply at any given point in time, like, that's really the dance. Right. That's it. Okay. You're the best. No, you're not the best. <laughs>